this morning. And, but um, with joy, um, with joy and uh, with hope that this word has been designated for your life. Amen. And for those that are viewing online. 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 14. And the word of God reads like this. It says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. To fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages begin, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, Guard the deposit that's been entrusted to you. You know, let me give you a question this morning. And it is, do you believe that God has deposited a gift in you? Do you truly believe? Yes, I'm glad you answered. Do you truly believe that God has deposited a gift in you? You know, I believe that God has. And the Bible declares it to be so in 1 Peter 4.10. says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's stewards of God's varied grace. Again, as each has received a gift, each and every one of us have received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's stewards. Somebody say, I'm a steward. What are you a steward of? God's varied grace. It is God's varied grace that produced a gift in you so that you would be useful to one another in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in my years of ministry, there is one thing certain that I have experienced to be true. In the many places I have been graced to preach and minister the gospel, we're talking about over 42 states, over three different countries, hundreds of congregations, Many churches, if somebody can just silence their phone, many churches, many people that have heard the gospel message through this ministry, I have been graced to preach. It is a privilege for me to preach. That is what the Lord has given for me as a task. And the many places that I've been graced to preach and minister the gospel of truth, I have encountered the spirit of paralyzation. Not more towards the message of receiving, but toward the message of releasing. Everyone loves receiving. 
Everyone loves to be in a receiving mode, but very few people love to be in the releasing mode. It is when that same faith that you need to believe God to receive ends up being the same faith you need to release your life to the service of God. Not because you have been enlisted. Let me just explain something. Let me clarify something. We release the gift of God in our lives, not because we've been enlisted, but because you've been saved. I want to establish something here because this is not like something that, you know, there's a war and by force you've been enlisted. God doesn't force nobody to battle. This is a voluntarily, this is a voluntary uh, option that we take before the Lord. We are not enlisted, but we have been saved. And we are in a time when and where the people of God need to get active. We are in a time and a place in our nation and all across the world in a problem where the people of God need to be active. It's good to be in the spiritual oven. It's good to be in the spiritual oven being prepared. But there comes a time when we need to realize that we are overstaying our time in the place of preparation. There comes a time where we begin to realize that the timer has been beeping for us to step out already. There comes a time where we realize that God has been already sealing his approval upon our life to obey him for such a time as this. And it is embarrassing that the oven beeper, it is beeping away. It is beeping like crazy. And here we are saying, God, I'm not ready yet. It's not time yet, God. You know, you know right now it's not a good time for me. You know, it's not about if you are ready. It's if when God is ready. And, you know, and there are some things that, yes, you're not there yet. But there are other things that you have accomplished for God's glory. There's been a gift deposited in, in each and every one of us this morning to touch lives. To reach the lost, to heal hearts, to restore, to impact, to shake and save the lost, a lost world. And in all honesty, to always being in the receiving mode, just, I want to just put this out here. In all, in all honesty, to always be in receiving mode is a boring life in Christ. To always be in the gimme gimme attitude is so boring. I find more satisfaction in my releasing than I do my receiving. Let me say that again. I find more satisfaction as a believer when I release than when I receive. That's why the Bible says it is more better to give than to receive. It is more better to give than to receive. And it's a boring life to always be wanting to receive. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, and nothing coming out. You know, don't get me wrong, church. We, we need of God. Amen? We need of God. We need of His hand. But when will we put into action what God does in our lives? When will we put into action what God deposits in us? When will we put into action what God has purposed through us? A young man many years ago I met in my time of evangelism. Never seen him again. But I'll never forget his question. He asked me, how will I know when God is calling me? How will I know when it is time? And I simply answered, 
a statement that has not changed for me today. You'll know it is time when you see a need that burdens you. You'll know that it is time when you see a need that burdens you and you can't shake it off. You can't shake it off, so you pray and it still pops up. And you read God's word and God has it pop up again. You try to fast your way out of the need and it pops up again. In your randomness of life, you're driving and all of a sudden it pops up in a billboard. You're walking through the store and all of a sudden something reminds you of what God told you to do. It pops up. That is a good sign that God is asking you to do something. When you cannot shake the burden of what is before you. Everywhere you turn, there's a reminder. Everywhere you look, there is a reminder. Every person you talk to leads to that conversation. I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation and God's dealing with something in your life secretively. Then all of a sudden you're before another person conversating. And all of a sudden the point of conversation is what you're dealing with secretively. It, 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 that is a good sign that God is trying to get your attention. And the, the beeping has been going off on the oven for so long. God has been trying to get your attention. God has been using every method and every way to show you that there is a purpose with your life. You didn't go through what you went through for nothing. It was for something. And now God is saying, now I'm asking you, will you be a witness for me? Let me say that God will not ask you to do anything he hasn't prepared you for. This should encourage you this morning because it's time to start asking God to steer up your spirit. Start asking God to steer up your spirit. Start asking God to make you bold and, and, and start asking God to burden you with his kingdom. Begin to pray like God has a task for you every morning. When was the last time you prayed like God has a task for you today? We, we only pray like there's a task for our lives when we're blessed. When we receive. God wants to see that you're ready for a task when nothing is coming in your life. You just want to give. You want to release. It's easy to be grateful when blessings are coming your way. It's easy to say, I'm here to serve when everything's going good, but... It's, it's hard to say, I'm here, I'm ready for the kingdom and what God has for my life when all hell is breaking loose. When all hell is breaking loose, that's when we less want to be involved in what God is doing. I don't care how hard it is in our home. I don't care how hard it is in my life. I'm always going to be in the front line wanting to do the will of God. Why is that? Because I find satisfaction in serving God. Now, there's some things that God is graduating me out of certain seasons that I'm stepping out of. Nevertheless, my, my, my life and my mind is not uh, uh, in an unbusy state for God. It's always in a busy mode. That is why when it's time to sleep, I try to stay asleep. Because the moment that I'm awake, my mind starts to function about the will of God. It's like my mind sets on doing something for God. And, and see, that's the mode that needs to be transferred from this shepherd to its house, to its sheep. That the moment you wake up in the morning, you ought to be asking the Lord, what's my task today? The moment you step out of your house, you ought to be saying, what's my task for today? The moment you walk into the store, say, God, I want to be sensitive because there's a task as to why I'm coming in here. You just didn't ordain for me to walk in at 132 in Foods Code. There's a reason why I didn't come at 11 and I came at 132, Lord. 
because there's somebody that I need to impact for your glory and your honor. You're doing something in my life that's for nothing. Everything you do has a purpose. It's not about benefiting me. You know, God, it's about benefiting the kingdom, Lord. And, and that means being available. Do something. Do something. You know, let me give you a little history of the context of verses that we're reading. We read a letter to a young man, Timothy, from his spiritual father, Paul. His mentor, Paul, the apostle Paul was Timothy's mentor, spiritual father, somebody that led him in the Lord. He, Paul was somebody that poured into him as to affirm that he believed he had the potential to carry out the ministry of Paul for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul had confidence that Timothy, I believe with all of my heart, that Timothy was the successor of Paul's ministry. That is why Paul poured into Timothy so much. We also see that same love for Titus. But we see two letters to Timothy. Vivid detail of how much he wanted for him to serve God and fulfill the work of the Lord and never to forget the words that had been poured into him by Paul. To bring to remembrance. Paul had confidence that Timothy was capable of delivering the gospel of Jesus Christ through the ministry of Paul. You know, I, I was born. I want to just say this. Timothy is somewhat like me. Timothy in some way is like me. If, if we could try to understand better the context of this letter. I was born into a Christian home. I was born into with Christian parents. I was born into a Christian influence. I was born into a strong godly influence to the point of having their hands laid upon me and even mentors laying their hands upon us as their children, declaring the word of the Lord and declaring ministry over our lives. In some way, I'm like Timothy. And guess what? I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm fulfilling what God has called for my life to fulfill. But, you know, I have to give credit to the strong, godly, familial influence that I had in my life as I was raised. But what we don't realize or focus on is that a choice needs to be made on behalf of Timothy. The evidence is there. The purpose is there. The authorization is there. But the one thing that cannot be done is a decision for Timothy. That is something Timothy needs to do on his own. This is a message in itself because week after week, God speaks to you. Week after week, God gives you evidence. Week after week, God proves his case concerning his plans for your life. Week after week, there is a purpose that is displayed to you. There is authorization that you receive, but I cannot decide for you. I cannot decide for you to enlist yourself and serve the Lord with all of your life. That is the decision you make. You got to make that decision. I cannot force you to do something for God. You have to decide. There's somewhat of an irritation when people say, well, you know, I, I just don't know what God wants me to do. How do you not know what God wants you to do? And every week he's delivering you. Every week he's healing you. 
Every week he's providing for you. Every week is a successful week of not going back. And you don't know what the will of God is yet. We, we, we act like there's not sufficient evidence as to God's calling and election of our, over our lives. Oh, wow, he just saved me. I don't know why. Why do you come to church? Well, it's my duty. Why do you lift your hands up to pray? Well, you know, I like it. It's interesting to me that nobody knows that they're called. We, when, when we say, you're called, well, I'm called? No way. Hey, God saved you for a purpose, such a time as, for such a time as this? What? You're crazy. I don't know. God do something with me? Yeah, God do something with you. No way. You know, I, I was an ex-drug addict. You know, I, I, you know I, I used to, you know, poke my veins. I used to be an alcoholic. I used to be in prison. I used to, you know, do this. I was a depressed person. I was a, God would never choose me. More that God would choose you, that you came from that lifestyle. You have a purpose in the Lord. There's, there's a reason as to why God saved you. How, how can we stand purposeless before a God that took us out of our miry clay? How can we stand purposeless before a God that saved us out of our darkness, that saved us out of our sin, that saved us out of our rebellion? God is faithful. God is just. You were broken on the side of the road. You were headed to hell. You were headed to destruction. And God lifted you up. How can you stand here and say there's not enough evidence? Do something. Do something for God. Quit belly aching. Quit crying about how God doesn't have a purpose for you. God saved you for a reason. And he tells Timothy, steer up the gift of God that's in you. Steer it up. The evidence is there. The purpose is there. The authorization is there. But the one thing that I cannot do is, uh, is tell you to do it. You got to decide. I cannot decide for you. I've done my job up to the point of preparing you for your decision. We think we're active because we worship and we praise and we sing and we dance and we jump and we shout and this isn't being active for God. This is called being a living sacrifice. Let's define it. Coming to church on Sunday and shouting and jumping, you know, and singing. That's just being a living sacrifice of worship. Don't ever count that as your commission. Don't say you clocked in because you didn't clock in. You got zero hours. Don't pull your time card out with pride. Oh, Lord, you know my time card. Look, Lord, I got five hours. I put ten hours in. Ten hours where? Well, I came to prayer, and I came to women's and men's, and, you know, I came to church on Wednesday, and I went to church on Sunday. No, 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 that doesn't count. Those hours don't count.
Tell me what do you do when you want to watch TV? Tell me what you do when you want to be on your game. Tell me what you do when you're on Facebook. Tell me what you do when you're on Instagram. Tell me what you do when you're in your extracurricular activities. What do you do to fulfill the kingdom of God in your life? I go to church. That's, that's, that is your worship, your, your life of worship for the Lord. Tell me what you do aside from that. The waters are trembling this morning because all of us are guilty. Can't, can't count those hours. You know, can't, can't count those. Those hours go out the window. That's, uh, <laughs> women's ministry out the door. The door. I don't got no hours, God. <laughs> will you let God fulfill his purposes through your life? I will never... I will never neglect influence. It is a powerful thing. Influence is a powerful thing. Influence is a needed thing. And you Christian parents, just let me say something. You Christian parents, don't you ever be intimidated by society that your godly influences is not right. I rebuke that. Your godly influence is correct. You never allow a tree to grow from start Without giving it direction. That's why they tie a, a stick next to the tree so that the tree grows straight. You never let a tree grow itself. You plant the seed. And as it's planting, you make sure it grows straight. Don't you ever be intimidated by society that your godly influence is wrong. Godly influence is right. Don't hand them marijuana. Don't hand them liquor. Don't take them to El Prado when they turn 18. Come on, somebody. El Molino Rojo, don't take them there. Don't take them to Aldo's. Don't take them to the rainbow. There's nothing wrong with teaching them how to raise their hands. There's nothing wrong with teaching them good manners and good Christian ethic. There's nothing wrong with teaching them how to sing for the Lord. There's nothing wrong with telling them they need to read their word. There's nothing wrong with telling them they need to pray. That's what society says is wrong. No, I, I want to correct it. You don't allow a child to grow itself. You got to push them into the right direction. You have to give them the word of God. Come on, somebody bless the name of the Lord. Don't let them choose for themselves. Let them, let, let them choose. For, no. There's power. There's power in influence. And if you see the life of Paul and Timothy, there was a power in that influence. I'm never going to ne neglect influence. You be influential, parent. You be influential. Even if your children make decisions, but you live the life influential to them. Pastor, they didn't even, they're not even serving the Lord. I tried my best. You were influencing. 
You were influencing just like every week. I'm influencing you. And a lot of what I pour in, you don't put to action. But every Sunday, I'm here influencing you. Every time you see me working for the Lord, I'm influencing you. I'm showing you the character and the way of walking in the faith. I'm giving you an influence, a godly influence as to be reminded that, hey, my pastor, my shepherd is in the front line. He's doing something for God. It is for me to catch on and, 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 and do things for God and be busy for the Lord. Don't you ever complain about what you do for God. You, you do it with all of your heart. You know, there's power in influence. There's a power. Why? Because you might not get it in one week, but one day. One day you're going to come in on a Sunday morning and God is going to deliver your life and bring to remembrance all that God has activated in your life. I'm not working in vain. I'm not preaching in vain. I'm not influencing you in vain. It's for a purpose. I know that one day your breakthrough is coming. Proverbs 22, 6, it, uh, you know, it pertains to this as well. Direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. Start your children off on the way that they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn away from it. Paul had come out of Judaism, but this boy Timothy was brought up in a Christian home. Both his grandmother and mother uh, were Christians. And I'm sure this had a lot to do with this young man turning to Christ. But Timothy's father was actually a Greek. Unsaved. It's not known whether he was in the faith, but a high probability was that he was an unsaved Greek man. But look at how powerful the influence of his grandmother and mother was. So powerful that the Apostle Paul was able to bring him in, and it greatly impacted the life of Timothy. It is quite obvious that Paul really loved and cared for Timothy. Because verse 3 and 4 of this same chapter declares, I thank God whom I serve. Look what Paul says. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Look what Paul says to Timothy. I remember you in my prayers night and day as I remember, look at, as I remember, Timothy, your tears. As I remember, Timothy, your tears, I long to see you, Paul said. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. You see, we read that Timothy really loved Paul very much, but Paul declares that he would be blessed to see him. His tears, his tears would bring joy to him. But the fact that Timothy was crying for Paul displays the trust that Timothy had for Paul. The affection that Timothy had for his spiritual father. Paul is at this moment, he's arrested, he's in prison, back in prison, and he even faces death. This affects Timothy. Look at the power of influence. Timothy had been in Why is this important? I'm going to tell you why. Because at times we act like there's no influence in our lives. And, and uh, uh, you know, we, we act like there's no godly influence in our life to display a life that obeys God and to live in such a manner that allows God to work through us. When I say let God use you, we act like we don't know what that looks like. When I say God wants to use your life, we act like, boy, that's a strange thing. I've never seen that happen before. We can play the part that we're still in that baby stage.
But we want grown-up blessings. We, we want to be babies spiritually. But we want to be adults in the blessings. We, so we act like that baby stage, I, I don't know. I'm not ready. The me, no way. Couldn't be. Then who? If you all watched Barney, you'd understand what I just said right now. <laughs> who stole the cookie from the cookie jar? Who, me? Yes, you. Couldn't be. Then who? God's pointing the finger. Yes, you. Yes, you. And there you are. Who, me? We, we, we play stunned. We play stunned at the thought that in this beautiful promise of salvation, in the remission of sins, there would include a commission. We're so stunned when God says, okay, there's remission of sins, but there's also a commission. A commission? What? You're telling me I was saved to bring you glory? What? You're telling me that I was saved out of that lifestyle to preach? Paul declared to Timothy, steer up the gift because I laid my hands on you. You see, when Paul put his hands on Timothy, that meant that Timothy was a partner with Paul. He shared with him the gift of teaching the word of God. And I truly believe that Paul intended for his mantle to fall upon Timothy. For this young man was close to Paul. And when Paul was in prison in Rome, he said to Timothy in, the, in Philippians 2.20, he said, I have no man like-minded. He said about Timothy, I have no one else that's like-minded like me but you, Timothy. So Paul urges Timothy to steer up the gift. And I knew that Timothy, uh, 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 he knew that Timothy was a young man that could carry on the teaching and preaching of Paul. And therefore, Paul had made him his partner and they were together in the ministry. And, uh, you know, there comes a point in time where God says, quit playing dead, do something. So what do we learn about the gift of God that's been deposited in you this morning? How God is calling us to be more actively pursuing it and allowing God to be made manifest through our life for his purpose and glory. He told Timothy, number one, write this down, rekindle your gift. Rekindle it. You know what rekindle means? Rekindle means relight a fire. Revive something lost. It means to revitalize. It means to reawaken. Verse 6 declares, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Notice that Paul admonishes Timothy to steer up the gift of God or to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. This young man had a gift and Paul urges him to steer it up. No one can do it for you, church. You got to steer it up. And I just want to say, God did not just save us to be stagnant our whole lives. God did not save us to just be on cruise control our whole lives. Where he took you out of, delivered you out from, is where he will use you to snatch people out of the fire for his glory. That's where God will use you to snatch people out of, of death and destruction. That is where the Lord will take you out of. 
He took you off of the streets and he's going to use you to take people off of the streets. He used you. He took you out of that dope house and he's going to use you to take people out of dope houses. He, he delivered you out of the, the lustful life and he's going to use you to deliver people out of lustful life. He took you out of a life of vanity and he's going to use you to deliver people out of a life of vanity. Maybe you lived a life of hate. Maybe you were a gang member, a gang life, you know, that life of death, dope dealing, prostitution, homosexual life alcoholism you know that corporate ego prideful life you might be saying man he's putting my old me on the on blast right now yeah man he's putting me on blast what I was be pastor chill out you know they, they, don't say that that's who I was He's putting me, my old me, on blast. I say, no, I'm putting your old you on the stand. Look at this. You see, when I bring up evidence of who you were, at that very moment, you're subpoenaed to go on stand for who you are now. Let me say that again. You see, when I start to bring up evidence of who you were, then you receive a subpoena to go on stand to now testify because there's evidence. Don't get angry when God puts you on the stand. Don't get angry when God puts you on the stand. That just means that there is evidence you were in a crack house. There's evidence that you were an alcoholic. There's evidence that you were depressed. There was evidence you were going to hell and God saved you. He brought evidence out. And God is saying you can't just live stagnant. I pray God serves you with the subpoena this morning to testify. Woo! To testify. You were there. You were there. You've seen it. You were a part of it. You've seen the power of God and what it does, it changes, heals and transforms. It restores lives and you're trying to remain anonymous. God say no, there ain't no anonymous people in the kingdom. Let it be known. Can I remain anonymous? You know, you know, I, I, I was I was driving home last year before Christmas. And this lady hit a car and the car flipped over and right there on going on the, the one one eighty. Flip flipped the car and that car rolled and she just took off. The tire wasn't even spinning no more on her car, but she just took off. So I did the good Samaritan thing and I followed that person all the way to her apartment. She got off. She was drunk. Right. All drunk, her tire was all messed up, her, the front of her car throwing smoke. Shh. And then, and then the, the, the cop says, you know, you want to, you, you, you seen what happened? I said, yeah, you know, I'm the one that, 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 that called the cops that, you know, poor family, they, the car was flipped over and they weren't responding. They were trying to pull them out and all of a sudden she takes off, you know. She's guilty of something, obviously, you know, that, that's a life. If it was my wife, I would expect for somebody to, 
make sure that we're okay, that they find the perpetrator, the one that, that did the damage. So, I, you know, I followed and I, I, I told them where it was and that she, she got arrested. They, and he goes, do you want to be a witness? Pues si ni modo. He said, this is, this, is the, this is the time. This is the area where the people that did wrong get to get away. Because when you don't decide to be a witness, it's a he, say, he says, she says. Don't expect your family members to get saved if you're not testifying. No, don't expect your friends to get saved if you're not on the stand. Don't expect to impact the people you've said, God, you're going to impact them. God says, get on the stand. No, I want to remain anonymous. Don't let them slip away. God wants to use you. God will save. God will heal. God will do the work. But are you willing to be on the stand? Are you willing to do something that brings purpose and glory to God? Isaiah 43, 10 says, you are my witnesses declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. But look at what 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21 declares. It says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He reconciled you to be in a ministry of reconciliation. He reconciled you to be in a ministry of reconciliation. He reconciled you to be in a ministry of reconciliation. Oh, you saved me, Lord. You know, I'm going to kick back here until you come back. No, I saved you to save. I saved you to reach. I reached you so that you would reach. I reconciled you to myself so that you would continue in the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, the Bible says, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal. This is good. Now check this out. God making his appeal through us. Wow. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Rekindle your gift. You say, how, pastor? Begin by reflecting on where God took you out from. Paul became, became God's instrument to the very own that he walked with in the city that would not allow others to freely enter, Rome. There's a purpose as to why God chose you. Because you are a Paul to your Rome. You see, nobody else could go into Rome but Paul, for he was a Roman citizen. See, there's a purpose why God saved you, because there's a Rome that nobody else can walk into but you. There is a place that God has authorized you to toil the ground. Quit asking laborers, not you. You, Lord said, you. God put the burden on your heart. Amen? God put the burden on your heart. Now, you can tell your brethren, obey God. But when God tells you to do something, don't expect nobody else to do it. You do it. 
When God says, this needs to get done, you're looking around, well, who else did he tell? If you heard it, if you felt it, if you sensed it, more than likely it was just you that the Lord told. More than likely it was just you, the Lord told. Rekindle your gift. Not only did he tell him to rekindle the gift, he said, release your gift. You know what release means? Remove restrictions. Remove obligations. Allow it to move. Allow it to act. Flow freely. Escape confinement. You know, verse 7 says, For God has given us not a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and of self-control. I wonder if Paul was concerned about Timothy there in Ephesus. You know, Ephesus housed the temple of Diana. And, you know, the temple of Diana was one of the biggest sin spots in all of the Roman world. Paul had spent three years in Ephesus himself, and he knew that there were many allurements and enticements in that city. And I I believe that Paul was wondering if Timothy would fall captive to fear because of such a, a great influence of sin in that city. That's why he told him, steer up the gift. In other words, quit being, don't be a coward. We can see Paul's concern for this young man whom he called my dearly beloved son. He declared to him again, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and a self-control or sound mind. You know, the word fear here is better translated as cowardice. In other words, he was telling Timothy, for God did not give you a coward spirit. You know, right now at this time in ministry, this verse means everything. Because in spite of the virus and now some churches that do not function to the standard of care that I personally, I I find it very important. Nevertheless, there's still a call of God upon my life. There's still a purpose as to why I obey God and, and, you know, uh, uh, and have been visiting these churches. I might not feel all the comfortable, but I still implement my personal care. But, you know, I am there where God sends me. I'm there. You know, in the beginning, and even now at times, I don't, I don't enjoy, uh, you know, enjoy it like before. But there is a gift and a calling upon my life. My first outing since the pandemic began at the end of October, and it was down south. You know, and, and you know, the Imperial County was a part of the a state that was hit the hardest. The hardest. You ask me, Pastor, did you have fear? I have fear. But let me explain something. Fear is a natural thing. Let me clarify something to your life. Fear is a natural thing. It's a good thing. What? It's a good thing. For example, I am, and I'm pretty sure that everyone in here agrees with me, I'm afraid of lions. Are you afraid of a lion? No? You say no, but if it was loosed in here, you'd be tripping out. Yeah? Yeah, you'd be praying, heaven come. Yeah? No, not me. I'm not afraid of a lion. Put him in the lion's den, pues. Guarantee you ain't going to be like Daniel. He was afraid. You know, and there's nothing wrong with being afraid. There's nothing wrong with that fear. You know, because if that lion was loose in the streets where you were, I I, I know that you would find a good place to hide. 
It's a normal and good thing to have a sense of fear. Now, I have a normal sense of fear of this virus. I'm not going to deny that. I fear this virus not to be a coward, but to be cautious. Let me say it again. Not to be a coward, but to be cautious. I'm not a coward, but I'm cautious. You see, so as I'm preaching and ministering to the people, there is a sense of fear. A virus is still hitting all over the world. It's okay. And I have asked God to take away the fear. God, take away this fear. Take away this fear. And God doesn't take it away. I sure told him to take away the fear down south. And I preached every night with that fear. And yes, I thought, well, you know, God, I thought you were going to take away the fear. But I believe Paul is not talking about this good caution of fear. He's talking about the coward spirit of fear. See, Paul is saying God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Now, I'm, not get, I'm getting somewhere, church. He says God has given us instead a sound mind. And in other words, we are disciplined Christians. In other words, I might have fear of the, of the virus, but I will not allow it to stop me from doing the will of God. I, I have fear of this virus, but I will not let it get in the way of what God has asked me to do. Come on, somebody. Bless the name of the Lord. This morning, I, I'm, I, I'm going to obey God. I believe just God knows that we will have fear at times, just as if a lion was loose in the street, that as the people of God, we would act accordingly, not carelessly. Accordingly. To have fear means you act accordingly, means you have a sound mind. That's what Paul is saying. He's telling Timothy, have a sound mind, son. But I'm afraid. I didn't say you can't be afraid. Have a sound mind. Act right. And when the enemy says, don't go, don't you deny God. Don't you say no to God. Act right. Act accordingly. God will be with you. Paul is teaching Timothy here, we should be disciplined Christians rather than slaves to our emotions. Christians are not to be motivated by their emotions. Our emotions are not to master us. We are to be disciplined how does this apply to the point of releasing your gift? It, it is wrong to have fear for this virus? No. But it is wrong for me to allow it to keep me at home and not obey God. You see, I'm a disciplined Christian, and I'm going to grit my teeth at times and preach and deliver the message and take that trip because God has called me to an itinerant preaching ministry. Overcoming your emotions as a Christian means not letting your emotions stop you from doing something you should be doing for God. You see, I have disciplined myself to preach in the need anyway. I still live with these emotions uneasy there. And when someone coughs, someone's not wearing their mask. When I'm coming off of the pulpit and all of a sudden they're swarming me, I'm gritting my teeth. Just to let you know. From the pulpit to the door, it seems like an eternity. Lord, I felt like I just went through a whole lifetime just to get through the door. I'm gritting my teeth. It seems like an eternity. I put my head down or, you know, take short breaths. As if it's going to help. 
doing, doing all of these things, God's not saying shame on you. When you put your mask on and you do what God has asked you to do and when you live cautiously and you're hand sanitizing and you respond with caution, that good fear, God's not saying shame on you. No, what God is worried about is if what you had of fear stopped you from doing what he asked you. He's not, he's not worried if you're putting hand sanitizer on or putting your mask on or, you know, holding your social distance. He's worried if you're going to allow all of that fear to stop you from doing his will. That's when it becomes a problem to God. There are many people that drop their hands from the work of God. I'm not going to say shame on you. That's between you and the Lord. Somebody say amen. That's between you and God. But what I will say is this. If you're feeling convicted in your heart, you need to get back up, put your hands onto the plow, and not look back. For those who look back will not be fit for the kingdom of God. Overcome your emotions as a Christian. When you overcome your emotions as a Christian, this doesn't mean that you're letting your emotions stop you from doing what you should be doing for God. You do what God has asked you because God is pleased and I'm not going to allow my fear to keep me from doing the will of God. And some of you need to be in your church already. Some of you need to be in your church already. Some of you need to get back to that position of leadership that you were in. Quit making excuses. There you are in Costco. There you are in Target. There you are in the mall. There you are shopping outside. But you can't come to the house of the Lord. You're going to have to stand before God. And I say this with much reverence. You're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to answer to all the souls you didn't impact. Because you put your fear before God's will. You put your fear before what God asked you to do. You're going to have to answer for those lives you didn't touch because you were quarantined in your closet. But coming out on Fridays and Saturdays to Costco, and it's a conditioned quarantine everywhere but church. I won't go there. I said it, though. I don't like you, Pastor. You're so competitive. You want to be fake or what? You want me to just make you feel good and, and not convict you, encourage you to make these changes in your life? We're in a pandemic, but Christ can come tomorrow. Forget the pandemic. Do the will of God. What matters is that he's coming back for a church without blemish and without spot, not a church with house and a church with a car and a church with a job and a church with health. No, he's coming back for a church without blemish and without spot. Stop, start acting like you got an eternal place to be. Like you got a task greater than this earthly task. That you got a king other than than a taskmaster come on somebody do something there's a gift in your life you ain't doing squat god saved you and you ain't doing nothing boy i thought i was gonna finish at 12. 
There goes 38 more minutes. First book of Timothy 4, chapter verses 4 through, uh, 14 through 16, Paul tells Timothy what? Do not neglect the gift you have. I tell you that. Don't neglect your gift. Which was given to you by what? By prophecy. When the council of the elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Not only should you release your gift, but you should also bear your gift. I'm almost done. Give me five minutes. I promise. To bear means support, carry, hold up, tolerate. Paul said to Timothy, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ. Just before the, the uh, Jesus before the ages began, and which is now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. What did he do? Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Look what Paul said. This is why I suffer as I do. Because God has been made manifest, uh, you know, to bring life and immortality to light through this gospel that I preach. That's why I suffer the way that I do. Because the gospel brings immortality to light. And if it does not, if it is not preached, immortality cannot come to light. How will they be saved if they have not heard? How? Which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of my sufferings, for I know in whom I believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard me until that day, which has been with what has been entrusted to me. The Christian life is a life that will not be easy, nice and sweet and bright and breezy. A great many of us think that we have a, an indulgent heavenly father who is just going to put us on a bed of roses. Remove every stone out of our pathway and not let anything serious happen to us. We expect God to make everything easy. Or we think God will feel bad for not having our approval to serve him. God doesn't feel bad when it doesn't meet to your standard. I've preached 20 times in the last month and a lot of those places that I've went to we're not to my standard. I walked in, people walking in with masks, said, Man, no, no mask, you know. Ah. <laughs> Throwing oil on people. Sauce, 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 sauce. We, we sometimes neglect doing the will of God. And we say, well, God's feeling bad, you know, because it didn't, it didn't meet up to my standard. Because it doesn't feel bad. If you didn't want to do it, you didn't want to do it. You missed out on your blessing. But the Lord Jesus Christ made it clear that we would have trouble. He said it in John 16, 33. In the world, you shall have tribulation. You will have trouble. Samuel Rutherford, you know, an early theologian in the 1600s, made this statement, which is evident now. I love this. If ye were not strangers here, the dogs of the world would not bark at you. If you were not strangers in this world, the dogs of this world would not bark at you. 
The dogs bark because you're a stranger. We're strangers passing on through. Bear your gift. Support your gift. Hold your gift up. Tolerate your gift, what comes with it. Your gift will not make you accepted for popular reasons. At times, it will get you neglected, but for all the right reasons. John 15, 18, and 19 declares, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Verse 15, emphasize this is what Paul says to Timothy in verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed. I know in whom I have believed. Not only releasing your gift, not only bearing your gift, but also guard your gift. Guard it. Verse 12 through 14, and I finish, it says, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. For I know in whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. He tells Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we shall overcome and remain victorious in the gift that God has given to us. That gift that God has placed in you requires for you to yield yourself to the power of His Holy Spirit. Not intellect. God doesn't need intellect. He needs you to yield yourself. Your gift needs a yielding soul to the Holy Spirit. Don't you come with intellect. Yield yourself. God always use, uses availability over gifted. Always. He equips the available. It's not the other way around. He'll always equip the available. If you're available, He'll give you every tool to succeed. You're available. This is what you'll need. He'll get you to succeed. That gift that God has placed in you requires for you to yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't come with your intellect. Don't come with your science. Don't come with your methods. Come yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit. For it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we will know how to minister to a hurting world in such a time as this. Your intellect cannot use you for a hurting world. Your science cannot heal a hurting world. Your methods cannot heal a hurting world. Let's just get down to the point of it. It is only the Holy Spirit that can heal a hurting 